Welcome to the Florida History Podcast presented by the Florida Squeeze. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert Bucciolato. Today on the show, we're going to discuss the histories of peoples and individualism between North and South Florida, the contrast between North and South Florida, and what that has done to layer a cultural motif throughout Florida history. And uh, Robert, obviously, the initial... Uh, split in Florida was between East and West Florida, very much between St. Augustine and Pensacola. But as time moved on, it became a North versus South thing. Yeah. And, and interesting that you, uh, you, you mentioned that because uh, the whole reason why we even had a Tallahassee was uh, as many people know, it was because it was the, the absolute middle point between the two rotating capitals. But the reason why that was necessary was so many members of the legislature were actually dying, traveling from one capital to another, which, um, you know, and of course, now it's the whole, you know, are we uh, a southern state? Are we, uh, uh, are we four or five different states? And um, interestingly enough, you and me, we spent most of our lives as Floridians in South Florida. And, um, you know, my, my dad's family, they're from New York. So they always used to refer to me as a Southerner. And then when I moved up here and I met my wife, they were uh, self-proclaimed crackers. And mm-hmm. they told me very quickly that I was not a Southerner, that I was a Northern Yankee or I was a new Floridian. That identity is so real in uh, North Florida and the Panhandle. I would say the counties, um, obviously, certainly the counties west mm-hmm. of uh, the Apalachicola River, but also the ca- counties, I think, west of the, uh, the Suwannee River, between the Suwannee and the, and the Apalachicola Rivers. And then I would say down the heart of the state in uh-huh. counties like Wakulla and yeah. Hardy and Okeechobee, um, the southern portion of Polk, the northern portion of Polk now is just is, is filling up with sprawl uh, from Tampa and Orlando. But mm-hmm. there is a, a real cracker identity still mm-hmm. in this state that I think those from outside Florida uh, don't quite get, don't quite understand. It's not the Florida northerners think about. Yeah. And I and I think um, I think it was Buddy McKay that said um, from one half of Tallahassee to Pensacola is Alabama and from the other half of uh, Tallahassee to Jacksonville is southern Georgia and then central Florida is like Ohio because it's a swing um, because it's always so decisive each election and then south Florida is basically uh, part Cuba and then part New York New Jersey and um, I don't know of any other state where you have so much in play as far as, um, you know, coming up with a, a running narrative of statehood as this one. And it's, it's so amazing because I know just specifically, you know, in the 1990s when you started out in politics, um, there was so much power that was, that was shared between the North and the South um, both politically and also um, economically. And now the south of Florida is really become dominant over the north of Florida. 
And, you know, 50, 60 years ago, it was totally reversed. You had, you know, a, a real um, lack of representation in the South. And you had these, these great sprawling fiefdoms of um, agriculture and political power uh, spread out in the North. That is just yeah. gone today. Yeah, and I think you also had cities like Jacksonville that were dominant politically um, in the state in terms of um, its power in the 1940s, mm-hmm. 1950s, and 1960s. Wanted to start out talking about North Florida and the composition of the people. Mm-hmm. So many of the people who filled up North Florida, and at the time, the most populated region of Florida, let's say around the turn of the century, or 1900, turn of the 19th century, the 20th century, mm-hmm. were from Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had moved into the, the counties of North Florida and had made uh, Florida very much uh, electorally, politically, yeah. a deep southern, a deep south, bourbon democratic state. Most certainly. And, and you know, and, and there's actually a tendency um, from a lot of the original political leaders and uh, financial leaders of that time period um, to basically try and reinvent themselves in Florida. And you see that even today. Yeah. A lot of people don't succeed in other states, and so they try their luck in Florida. And, and it, was, it was and remains a very business-friendly culture. And so the, it was very advantageous for people to sort of leave their past behind. You know, I, one, one uh, governor at the time actually killed a man in cold blood. And then moved to Florida. In a few years, he was in the legislature. That was just that was just how it was in North Florida. Yeah, North Florida had all the political power in those days. In a future episode, we're going to talk about the pork chop gang, which is a little further uh, mm-hmm. afield, nineteen forties, fifties, early nineteen sixties. Mm-hmm. What uh, ended up happening after Governor Broward moved ahead with the uh, draining of the Everglades was a massive influx of people, generally from other parts of the country, not from the South, mm-hmm. into Southern Florida, into uh, and Henry Flagler's Railroad. The combination of those two things brought um, political power mm-hmm. and economic power to all of the towns on the FEC line, on the Florida East Coast Railroad line. And that began to shift the dynamic a little bit. And, and also, too, there was a time period where, um, you know, a long time, obviously, before air conditioning and things of that nature, where people that were well off would follow the seasons. And for a long time, that meant trips to the old world, you know, cruises to, to Europe and things of that nature. But with the opening of Florida, that was when you started to see a massive influx in tourism to all of these beautiful resorts, not only in South Florida, but all the um, Gulf of Mexico uh, beachfront property started to spring up. And um, it was it was really the birth of Florida tourism, which um, I guess if you would say there is if there is a cultural identity in Florida, it is a, a tourist magnet and it got its roots. Um, you know, over 100 years ago now, after we drained the Everglades. North Florida continued to control uh, the politics of the state, even while we had the land boom and we had Miami in the 1920s, prior to the 1926 hurricane, emerge 
as a major destination for um, everybody from uh, from uh, business leaders to presidents to Al Capone, right? Al Capone is pretty closely associated with Miami as well. In a future episode, we're going to get to Al Capone's ties to the panhandle, believe it or not. But um, (laughs) maybe you want to touch on that right now. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, and and that is, um, you know, I – the one thing I'll say about that, and, and I think it was something that you um, from the get-go wanted to talk about, and that was um, the rebellious streak of the panhandle and of the Florida cracker. Yes. And, yeah. um, you know, Al Capone was public enemy number one in the United States. And there was a running order in Florida by the Florida governor, Carlton, that if you see Al Capone, you send his butt out of this state. And what you would see was he would drive around in Tallahassee in a big limousine and people would hear about him and they would wave like he was a movie star and he would very <laughs> cavalierly, you know, t- you know, do like the little queen wave out the window, you know? And so, um, you know, and, and we were always in the panhandle. We were always uh, familiar with smuggling, um, you know, this was where the Civil War blockades were. This is where the rum runners were. This was where pirating was very big in, in and along what is now Apalachicola and things of that nature. They were just great places to hide things. And there was always a tenacity from the cracker to, you know, I'm going to do this my own way. And, uh, you know, the hell with the federal government and, um, you know, so that's why you had issues even into the 1950s and 60s where you had this, you know, e- pandemic of uh, moonshine brewing, you know, that was actually even higher in the 1950s. And, and um, I, I don't know if you could get that if you had a region that was more accommodating and more understanding than what the crackers were which was, um, I'm self-sufficient, I don't have two nickels to rub together, and I'm going to do it my way. Where uh, does that sense of uh, cavalierism come from? Because I think a, a theme in Southern history has been a search for unity amongst peoples of the South uh, prior to the Civil Rights era, right? That was always um, yeah. something that Southern politicians, Southern leaders wanted. And you had in the panhandle a population that had almost entirely come from other southern states, but yet had this very renegade streak. Now, was it that renegade streak that had them move out of their small towns in in southern Georgia and in in southern Alabama and move into the panhandle? How how do you explain it? I think think it's a coupling of, um, you know, roguish daring and, uh, you know, agrarian solitude. You know, because all of these people, for the most part were farmers they were they were either landowners or they were you know farm hands and so there was a lot of time to produce and to cultivate and to toil and to think and um as a result they formed very strong opinions um but at the same time there was a lot of poverty there wasn't a whole lot of education and i think that breeds Um, not only frustration, but I think that breeds dogma. And so they had very firm ideas and that's all they knew. And that's what they stuck to. 
And um, even, even from the beginning, the South had a view that was, you know, I, I'd say it was more um, in line with their identity as individual states and not towards a nationhood identity. And I think that sort of individualism, um, while attractive in, you know, the, the guise of, uh, you know, uh, moonshining or rum running adventures probably wasn't very good when you were trying to do bargains, which, you know, took place in the 1840s and 50s over things like slavery. Um, and so I, I think there there's a part of the panhandle that still very much regrets and at the same time is very angered by things like the Civil War, things like Reconstruction that you don't get in other parts of the country. Yeah, we, we even saw it in the legislature. I was uh, in Tallahassee during the debate over restitution for, for Pitts and Lee, mm-hmm. um, that, that famous case. And uh, even at the time, we still had some elected Democrats from from uh, the Panhandle. This is the 1998 legislative session. Yeah. And it became a very regional issue where you had the most liberal of, of, of Democrats you know, the, from, from Broward County uh, holding hands with Dan Webster, <laughs> you know, the most conservative Republican yeah. in the state, uh, pushing this through. But you had an, a strong identity of Panhandle. And I would say it was everybody west of the Apalachicola River, mm. Panhandle Republicans and Democrats um, sticking together on this. Want to ask you on that mm-hmm. vein about one specific place? Yeah, you've written about Carabelle, Florida, mm-hmm. a, a town not many people are familiar with, but uh, has an incredible history uh, when you talk about these sorts of things. Um, yeah, and you know, and that's um, I, I think that that is just like any other part of the panhandle west of uh, Tallahassee, yeah, west of Tallahassee, there was, um, there was a lot of law breaking. There was, um, there was a lot of violence between races. And um, I think people would be shocked today if they, if they knew, you know, that stuff like that went on. And, um, I I think I think uh, Jim Crow affected Florida, particularly uh, North Florida and uh, Northwest Florida, um, in a way that that would be very surprising today to people. Because um, I think I think a lot of people seem to think that um, the the end of the Civil War sort of put a, a an exclamation point on race relations. Um, and <laughs> things were were very easy from then on. And the fact is, is that, you know, Florida was a it was a walking indictment for um, not only the causes, but the the issues pertaining to um, any really powerful struggle that we'd seen um, in this entire century, whether it was the conflict over race relations, whether it was the civil war, whether it was national prohibition, um, for whatever reason, the panhandle was always a hotbed and you saw, um, people that were very close to one another having very, um, 
hotly contested views that ran, ran parallel to one another. Even though yeah. it was a very small, you know, part of the state. The, the I think identity also has led itself to people I talk to who are involved in politics or involved in some degree of governments basically feeling like they have to be advocates and stick together for that part of the state. There's very much a feeling now that you might get trampled by the interest from South and Central Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, that I don't think was necessarily something that's, that was there um, 50 years ago when there was, although I, the pork chop gang uh, mm-hmm. did show some signs of that, mm-hmm. but now there's very much a sense of unity, a sense of um, we have to stick together because we're not going to get our fair share or what we believe is our fair share of the pie. Um, otherwise contrast that with South Florida, mm-hmm. Robert, and you, you're talking about an area that uh, grew up in the 1920s and you had two, uh, horrible hurricanes, mm-hmm. uh, the 26 hurricane and the 28 Okeechobee storm. Uh, the 26 hurricane being uh, still to this day, I believe, mm-hmm. the costliest hurricane in American history when adjusted for inflation. Uh, just wiped out Miami, which was a boom town at the time. Well, and yeah, uh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just uh, I was actually going to uh, say there was a um, a gentleman who worked for my uh, my granddad's legislation uh, legislative office down in Miami. And he uh, he was actually in that storm and his dad grabbed his brother, his twin brother and him out of bed and tied him to a tree. And that was the last time they ever saw the dad. And that was the last time he ever actually saw his brother. Both of them died in the storm and he was chained to that fence to uh, that tree all night. And um you know, we see what happens with Michael now um, and how, you know, devastating it was to the panhandle and how frustrated they are with uh, the relief efforts. And, um, you know, and, and obviously what, what certain members of Congress are doing, stalling it is, is appalling, but it pales in comparison to uh, the time when we would only have a few minutes notice to yeah. save ourselves. And that 26 storm uh, was particularly devastating because, as I said, Miami was a boom town that had gone from uh, a post office on the Miami River, yeah. uh, essentially a trading post, to a, a, play, uh, a town with 100,000 people, skyscrapers, skyscrapers by 1920 standards. Uh, in about 20 years, the building, there was no building code. Um, the population wasn't notified. And so what ended up happening is from uh, that point, from 1926 and 1928 until World War II, there was sort of a recession in South uh-huh. Florida's growth and influence. But from the World War, World War II era onward, South Florida has been ascended and North Florida, one way or another, has, 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 has fallen further down the pecking order. How do you view the relationship between the two parts of the state today? Well, and, and, you know, this is, uh, we've talked about this so much and, you know, we've mentioned it, um, you know, just on this program. Um, the, the simple fact is, is that, um, I don't think they identify themselves uh, a whole lot. I think, uh, people in South Florida, for the most part, they come from, uh, you know, more progressive parts of the country or, um, 
you know, or even if they're conservative, they tend to be a little bit more forgiving on social issues. Um, whereas, you know, the Northerners, uh, in, in terms of uh, North Florida, um, you know, they're, they're always are these huge influxes every year of college kids and, you know, stuff like that, that, that decide to stay here and live here that sort of moderate the area. But for the most part, they still are much more traditional and their value system is, uh, I'd say probably a lot closer to, you know, Alabama or North Georgia or even parts of Texas than, um, you know, South Florida. It's very much like they're living in, in two different time periods. Um, and, and that's, that's been happening a while, you know, for a long time, they were trying to make, uh, you know, South Florida, particularly along the Fort Pierce area, the, um, the new Eastern, um, center for the telecommunications industry in the 1980s and 1990s. And, uh, they never even thought about doing it in the capital of the state. It was always, even though it was the capital, it was this very sleepy town. It was this very good boy town, you know, good, good old boy town. Whereas um, you take something like Miami and Fort Lauderdale, I think if you, if you didn't know anything about the state, you would just assume that the capital is Miami or Tampa, yeah. you know, because it's just, it has so much more um, in as far as, um, you know, uh, opportunity, uh, commerce, industry. Um, you know, I can remember when I moved here to Tallahassee, everybody that I knew from Tallahassee was trying to save up their money to go and live where I came from. And, you know, and it was, it was because that was where, if you were going to be in Florida, that's where the jobs were. And, um, you know, and unfortunately for a lot of young kids in a lot of small towns in Florida, their answer is to move out of North Florida. So, you know, you don't have the innovation. You don't have the desire to explore and try new things. And, and, as, and as a result, you don't have a lot of business coming to the area. So, um, you know, you would, we would see, you know, Tallahassee making a pitch for, you know, Amazon to move, you know, headquarters here. Um, whereas, you know, you know, and I, I don't even think we were even looked at, whereas you have Tampa and Miami holding national conventions, um, daily. And it, it wouldn't be, um, inconceivable for Amazon to move one of their operations in Miami. Um, you know, Miami has been trying for years to be considered, you know, the Hong Kong of, you know, for for South America, basically, um, you know, for its shipping and all of that. Whereas, um, you know, with the exception of Jacksonville and Pensacola, you have just this two, three hundred mile strip of beautiful trees and scattered little towns. And I think I think they're a little resentful. And um, I, I, I would compare it to, you know, a South Georgian's resentfulness towards Atlanta. You know, they just they just shake their heads and they don't understand it. 
Yeah, that's uh, an underlying theme of everything in Georgia history, by the way, is yeah. uh, the resentment of Atlanta, even their concoction of the county unit system. We never had that here no. in this state to elect governors was to make sure Fulton County and the, and the suburbs around Atlanta weren't selecting the governor of the state. Uh, one other point about Miami is that Miami has become a major media hub. Absolutely. Recently. And uh, in fact, I uh, was having a conversation at a conference a few weeks ago. Uh, a person was telling me besides uh, New York, uh, Los Angeles and Washington, D.C., which is the capital, obviously, Miami is the biggest media center now in the country. And that that quite surprised me. But then when I thought about it, yeah, every major uh, news outlet in the world has a bureau in Miami. They don't necessarily have bureaus in Chicago or San Francisco or Seattle or other Boston, or other leading cities you mm-hmm. think of. So that, that's another aspect of it. Anyway, we've got a leave off here this mm-hmm. is episode one uh in episode two robert which mm-hmm. uh be out next week we're going to talk a little bit about the civil war in florida absolutely we're going to talk about uh the governor that actually killed himself when he heard that we uh that florida as well as the rest of the south surrendered and we're also going to talk about how two other governors took part in the battle of gettysburg along with many other things Fantastic. So we will catch you next week again on the Florida History Podcast. Thank you for listening. Take care.